kids, hang on a second as you get ready to go to your class. Parents, all summer we've been walking through the fruits of the Spirit, and uh, I have been waiting all summer to get to this one because we, maybe it's just the stage of life we're in, but we reiterate the need for self-control over and over and over again. And sometimes life has a way of just kind of shaking you up. So kids, you all know this, that like sometimes your little brother will steal a toy from you and it just causes you to get shaken up on the inside and you get so worked up. And then sometimes maybe you'll lose your game that you're playing and it causes you to get really shaken up and things just happen to really shake you up. And then do you know what would happen if I open this right now? This is in one of the activity parents, so if your kids come back ex- with Coke exploded, that's, I, I apologize. That was my bad idea. But if I would open this right now, it would explode everywhere. And self-control is the ability not to explode when life shakes you up. And it's a gift from the Spirit, because what happens if you, uh, if you explode when life shakes you up? You know what happens? I mean, you get messy, you get icky, you get sticky, and probably the worst thing is you waste a perfectly good Coke, so you don't get to have the joy of having a Coca-Cola. So we want self-control to help, uh, help us not explode when we get shaken up. So you stand up and go with your teachers. Uh, they're going to take you out. Any boy want to take this? Should I entrust them? Let's check their self-control to see if they can... Uh... <laughs> and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And so today's a little unique for us because we're having a, uh, a congregational meeting afterwards where we'll just update everyone on our transition and just kind of where we are throughout the summer. And uh, what I wanted to do this morning is, in essence, uh, have... In essence, like a, almost like a, a devotional thought really on just one word from Ephesians chapter 2. We're just kind of microscopically look down at the word remember. And then I want to pull back, uh, you know, pull back and, and have a maybe, I don't know what's the opposite, telescopic view of kind of all of Ephesians and then the idea of what the church is and is supposed to be. Because for our congregational meeting, I really want, I wanted to introduce to you um, one of our three key documents that we're working on putting in place as we establish ourselves this summer. Um, the three key documents are our statement of faith, our church covenant, and then our constitution and bylaws. And the way they work together is the statement of faith is a statement of what we believe. The constitution and bylaws is how we're going to function as a church. And then the church covenant is how we're agreeing to live together to live as one another. And we've got uh, finished the, at least the first initial draft of the church covenant. So actually during the sermon time, I want to walk through the church covenant and just give you a sense of what it is, how it's helpful, and uh, why we need it. But kind of before we get there, I do want to spend a little time just in Ephesians chapter 2. Because we've been going through Ephesians, and it's such a helpful book for us in our stage of where we are as a church, because there's no better book in the Bible to give you uh, the, an illustration and demonstration of what the church is supposed to be. And so let's look at chapter 2. 
And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, chapter 2 is structured around these two great turns. So in chapter 2, 1 through 10, he tells us that who we were individually before Christ is that we were dead in sin. And then Christ has made us alive. And then there's another shift. And actually pick up in verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. And the way all of chapter 2 is structured is structured around these two great turns of this is who you were, and then now this is who you are. And the deciding factor, the thing that causes the shift in both cases, is this incredible but now. You were this, but, but God has done something. You were this, but Christ has done something. And so I just want to think this morning for a few minutes before we just look at the covenant about that idea of remembering. Remember. Remember who you were and who you are. You know, there's some periods in history that are just always interesting. And uh, this past week, I just finished this book called Under the Scarlet Sky. And it was so intriguing because it was about this, this 17-year-old kid who was uh, in uh, the Nazi-occupied Milan during World War II. And he had this just almost unbelievable life where he was doing this underground railroad of smuggling Jews across the Alps and gets captured and then becomes a chauffeur for the leading Nazi general and then becomes a spy. Just this incredible story. But what's so interesting is no one in his life knew his story till he came to the end of his life and then just kind of started spilling out his story at this bar in Montana. And this kind of random writer who was struggling to find something to write about, here's bits and pieces. Like, what? The, the, has anybody ever heard this story before? And uh, it's just an incredible story. And there's another, there, there's so many examples of this. Another one of my favorites is from the movie Defiance. If you saw that movie a couple years ago, uh, Daniel Craig or James Bond uh, was in it. And it's about the Bilski brothers, who you actually, in this room right now, is one of the Bilski family members. So we have famous people in the room. But uh, it's about their family. And if you saw the movie, um, it's about the four Bilski brothers. Uh, so, Keith, I'm sorry if I'm going to butcher your family's names. But Tuvia, Alexander, Asael, and Aaron. And uh, they were kids during um, Nazi-occupied uh, in World War II, 1941. Their parents, some of their relatives were killed, and they fled to the... Uh, well, kids, I mean, they were in their 20s. But they fled to, um, to, the, to the woods, and there were 13 neighbors from their little area who kind of settled in and kind of created this almost like uh, compound. But what's so interesting is right now, just in the United States, there's 10,000 people who trace their lineage to that original little group that started at 13. And uh, the movie came from, there's uh, a British journalist named Natasha Kapolinsky, who's kind of like Katie Couric of, of Britain. And she was on this show called Who Do You Think You Are? It's kind of like Our Roots, if you've ever seen that. And she discovered that one of her uncles was one of the original 13 members of that group. And that nobody knew. 
And so they started doing some research and investigation and started finding this incredible story of survival and this, this remarkable story that no one knew about it. And they started interviewing people around the, the Bilski brothers. And one of them, uh, I was, thought it was funny because uh, they started interviewing uh, the people around Tuvia. And he was uh, a truck driver in Brooklyn. And when he started telling the story, nobody around him believed that that was him. They say, that, that couldn't, couldn't be him. But uh, Natasha was telling about what motivated her to want to get the movie in production. And it's always interesting to me to see like, what motivates people to really try and do these different like, creative projects with either like, movies or books or songs. Because some of it is just... You know, like if you ask like Michael Bay, what motivated you to do the Transformers? And it's like, well, to blow things up and make a lot of money. So there's not a lot of uh, altruism in it. But for her, she said, we had to tell the story because we had to remember. If you don't remember, you lose your identity. And so we had to tell the story because we needed to remember who we were. And what she's getting at is the power of remembering. Or another movie, something like The Born Identity, like what happens to you when you can't remember who you are? And one of the most damaging effects of sin in our life is that we remember the things we should forget, and we forget the things that we should remember. We remember the slights. We remember the inconveniences. We remember the aggravations, and we forget the gifts. We forget the joys. We forget all the people who helped us, and we remember the people who criticize us. We remember things we shouldn't, and we forget what we should. And what Paul's going to tell us here in Ephesians chapter 2, the whole point of Ephesians chapter 2, is that if you're going to have a healthy soul, you have to learn to remember. Remember the right things. So these are the things you're supposed to remember. And it's that memory, that remembering, that motivates and promotes thankfulness and joy. And in 1 through 10, it's all about remember the power of God displayed for you personally and internally. How you were dead in sin. You were uh, chained and bound to these three different things, the world, the flesh, the devil. And then you've been set free. And then in uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, it's all about how he's transformed you as a group, as a community, as a people. He's placed you among a people. And so it's a call here to remember. And it's important to us, like the call to remember is a call to action. It's a call to do something. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, it, it involves evaluating what has happened and then drawing the appropriate deductions and implications and actions from it. So, for example, if your wife says, um, did you remember that today's our anniversary? And if you haven't done anything about it, then you're in trouble. And you're even in more trouble if you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And just, no. So it's like whenever you remember something, often there's certain things when you remember it, it causes you to act. So, oh, yeah, we have a meeting that starts in five minutes. I have to go. Or, oh, yeah, it's, it, it, it motivates you to respond. And here in chapter two, there's two things we're supposed to remember. Remember who you were and then remember who you are. And then let's look at just a couple things. And we're actually going to cycle back to this in a couple weeks. But just three realities. Do you see it in verse 12? Remember. And there's three things that were true of you and then two results. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and a stranger to the covenants of promise. 
So these three things, separated from Christ. He came to a specific people at a specific time and specific locations, and you were separate from him. You were alienated from the people of God. This is where God acts, and he came to this people, and you're not a part of that people, and then you're a stranger to the covenant of promise. There's these promises that are given that are meant to fuel and and fire a life of gratitude and hope, and you were strangers to those. You didn't know them. And it's such a, uh, a stark, dark description of being an alien, being an outcast, of having no people, of having no home, not being settled. And he said, this is true of all of you. This is who you were. But what his, and what that made you is it made you without hope and then without God. Now, without God is like the ultimate culmination of the darkness that you were in. But then there's that incredible turn but now, but now, that's who you were, but it's not true now. But now you who are separated have been brought near. You knew who you were an alien, but now you have a people. You were a stranger, but now you're known. You're a stranger no more. You had no hope, but now you have hope. You were without God, but now you have him. And that's what changed and transformed it all. And the key to it all is remember. Notice what it comes by. It comes by uh, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's the blood of Christ, it's the cross that ends the separation. So it's the separation between us and God, it was the separation between us and one another. It's the cross that ends that separation. So what we want to do is we want to ask the Lord to help us to remember And so now let's kind of shift, and I want to talk uh, for the next, just our time remaining, is talk about our church covenant. And uh, the first draft is here, so if you'll kind of open that up and you'll follow along as we talk through that. Because what you see in the book of Ephesians is you have, Paul gives us this just incredible description of the gospel and the way people are transformed by it. And what you see in chapter 2 is how we are transformed individually in the first part. And then the second part of chapter 2, it talks about how it then places you in a community and with a people. And so he turns his attention to the existence of the church. And what's one of the most remarkable passages, I think, in Ephesians and maybe in the Bible is he gets to chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, the reason why God did this, made you individually new and then made you a part of a new people, is so that he, his intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed or made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ. So there's a sense in which he's, he's forming a people to put them as a showcase to the world to display his wisdom, his power, his beauty, and his glory. So they're almost like trophies or monuments of his mercy, trophies of his grace used to display. And so it's a remarkable image of what our calling is in the world. And then in chapter 4, he shifts and says, you have been given this incredible calling, now walk worthy of it. Walk worthy. And then what he does in 4, 5, and 6, there's three key pieces that he says, this is how you're going to have to live in the world. This is how you got to act as the church. This is how you got to act as a community at home and in your relations with one another. And this is how you need to act in the world. And so our church covenant is going to follow um, those three things. So what kind of what is a church covenant? Really, it's a promise uh, that you make to God 
It's a promise you make to a local church, and it's a promise you make to one another. It's one of the key pieces for membership where you're saying to be kind of a part of this church, we're committing to live together this way. This is how we're committing to walk uh, together. So look at just kind of overview. You can look and you see the three big pieces are walking together as a church, as a community, and in our culture or in our context. Because you have those three pieces, how we're committing to walk together together. and this document can be really helpful. It can be helpful for you if you're a church member just to know, all right, these are the expectations of me to be um, a part of this church. It's really helpful even if you're, um, if you're not a Christian or not a believer or just kind of uh, checking this thing out and saying, I wonder what it's like. This is the, the goal behind a church covenant is to give a succinct summary of how Jesus expects his people to live in his world. So it also can be really helpful just to remind you so you can remember, oh yeah, (laughs) that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what Jesus wants from me. And so here's our church covenant, and this is something we put together. Um, I've kind of, we've kind of orchestrated from a number of different places. And one of the things, kind of intentionally, I'm just going to kind of read through it line by line so you can just kind of see what's there and get a sense. And a part of the membership process, once we institute formal membership process, one of the kind of final pieces will be, in essence, to sign the church covenant. Saying, I'm agreeing to commit to live this way with this uh, people. And some things we didn't have uh, Gray up here, so wave Gray. Gray's been working on scripture uh, references for the church covenant, where every kind of line shows you where these kind of things come from, from the Bible. And right now, there's 28 pages long of all the scripture references. So it's an amazing document that can just show you where all of this kind of grows out of. Didn't print all of that out because um, I didn't want to print 28,000 pages. So there's, but it's 28 pages. We're going to have that document all worked out and get it where you can see where all of these things uh, come from. So let's just start called into new life. We thank God for the new life we have received and for the revelation of Jesus Christ we now enjoy. And having been brought by God's sovereign grace to repentance and belief in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, and having been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is with deep joy and great solemnity that we affirm our covenant together as a local expression of Christ's church for the glory of God and the good of His people. So the preamble, in essence, just sets up that we are people who have been recipients, like in Ephesians chapter 2, of the marvelous sovereign grace of the Lord. So we've experienced it. We've encountered Him. He's changed us. And a couple different pieces there, just the mark that uh, entering into a covenant has the two components of deep joy and then great solemnity or seriousness or weight. You know, it's like you know, a marriage, you know, there's joy, but then there's also weightiness to it. So it's, it's, there's a meaningfulness. So that's setting it up. And then each thing will have the refrain for the glory of God and the good of his people. Because that's why we exist. Everything we exist to do is for his glory and, and our good. So three key pieces. And the first one is walking together as a church. And it might be helpful as you think about church, because every single person comes in here with emotional, personal, and intellectual baggage when you think of the word church. 
And some of you have a lot of baggage. I mean, you come with a, you know, a bellhop, you know, train you're, you're rolling in with your baggage that comes in. And what do you mean by the word church? What does it connotate and what does it mean? And a couple distinctions that might be really helpful. Um, there's a couple different ways to describe it or a couple different words you use. The words I like to use are the organism and then the organization or the institution and the organism. So when you think of church, there's the organization, the institute, the, the formal structure where you have constituted leaders with buildings and locations and order and a way of proceeding. Uh, that's the organization. But then there's also the organism, where the living reality of the people of God who are the body of Christ. Or other ways you can think about, all right, this is kind of like the church formally, and then this is the kingdom, Christ's kingdom. So Christ's kingdom exists everywhere his rule and reign exists, but the church often exists kind of in certain locations and places. But that's an important distinction just to help you think through, all right, what is the actual church? And this first part, we're talking about the institution, the actual organization, as you look at all the images of the church, like in the New Testament, it's a building, it's a temple that's alive. So it has these two components. It's a body with organization and structure. So you have like a skeletal system and you have different structures that keep you organized, but then it's also a living dynamic being. And so the first part, walking together as a church, we're talking about the organization, so together, so I'll read the whole thing and then just kind of comment on a couple things to help you feel uh, the logic behind it and the force. So together we will labor for the advancement and final triumph of Christ's church. And then notice colon. So the goal of the institution, the organization, is to labor for the advancement and final triumph of Christ's church globally and worldwide. So we celebrate and rejoice the fact that Christ says, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be built, it's going to expand, and it's going to conquer and cover the earth like the seas cover, the water covers the ocean. It's going to move forward. And then we want to live and labor to be a small piece in that advancement and final triumph. The ultimate triumph of the church is not in question. It's just who will take part in what roles and how it will come about. So that's what we labor for. And then the way we do this, the way it's going to come about, is to sustain her worship by treasuring our opportunities to sing, to pray, and to receive the whole counsel of God's word. We commit to supporting her ministries, guarding her ordinances, receiving her discipline, and defending her doctrine for the glory of God and the good of his people. So what are the key pieces to make sure the organization moves forward and happens? The first is to sustain her worship. And that the idea there is to attend, to come. I mean, the reality is the church, ecclesia, the Greek word for church, ecclesia is the gathering. So if no one gathers, then you don't have a church. So one of the first things that has to happen is have to attend. But what I want you to kind of see here and feel is that it's more than just attending like so you can get your perfect attendance badge or just coming because it's the thing you do. Like you come to worship to, to treasure something, to encounter someone, to experience something. And what we want to do is we want to treasure our opportunities to sing together, to pray together, to hear the word speak to us. And then what we're committing to is supporting her ministries, 
guarding her ordinances. So the ministry supporting it, uh, support it with um, energy, with effort, with finances, so we can have the ministries to accomplish uh, what the Lord has called us to do in this context. Guarding her ordinances, that's kind of an old way of saying guarding. The ordinances are the Lord's Supper and Baptism. And saying these are the two things that Christ has ordained, ordinances, ordained for us to do, and it's to be done in a certain way that he commands. And it's our job to guard them and protect them and make sure they're following the biblical pattern that he has ordained for them to be accomplished. And receiving her discipline. And one of the marks of the church is that uh, it helps discipline one another. And this is very hard for 21st century Americans because we don't want anybody to tell us. You know, we, we all said when we were four years old on the playground to somebody, you're not the boss of me. And we haven't stopped saying that since. And so it's hard for us. But the idea of discipline, you all, we all know this. There's no joy in life. There's no success in anything without discipline. There's a fabulous little book by an ex-Navy SEAL uh, called Discipline is Freedom. Discipline is freedom. So you know in any arena, discipline is what's needed to, um, to have success in anything. So the idea behind there is, in essence, discipline is what fuels discipleship. They come from the same word. So there's spiritual disciplines we needed to really uh, grow and thrive. Defend her doctrine means that Christ has given to the church. She's the pillar in the ground of truth. And it's our job, especially as the leaders, to guard it and defend it. And that's what comes out of like our statement of faith will be a summary of the things we believe Christ has given to his church to believe. And all of this is for the glory of God and the good of his people. So that's the institution. Now look at walking together as a community. Really hear the ideas. What does it mean to, to be a disciple, to walk together, to, to live in community where you're seeking to? The goal is to stir one another up to love and good works. That's what it means to be a healthy Christian community. You're trying to stir one another up to love and good works. And then the way this happens, and then kind of notice all these active participles. It's, it's sharing, praying, walking, rejecting, speaking, giving, submitting, sharing in each other's joys and burdens, praying regularly for one another, walking in unity, rejecting all opportunities to speak and to hear gossip or slander. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we pledge to watch over one another in brotherly love, cheerfully giving of our lives and resources, joyfully submitting together to the Word of God, admonishing, correcting, and encouraging one another for the building up of the body of Christ, for the glory of God and the good of His people. So some of the things in there, we're called to share in each other's joys and burdens. And you know, learning to share is one of the largest challenges you'll ever have in life. And that started when you were two as well learning how to share. But we are actually called to share in one another's joys and burdens. We're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a healthy church family. And do you realize what that means? That means in a healthy church, you're going to constantly be bipolar. Being bipolar is a state of normalcy in a church. And we experienced, just experienced this last night, just before we got in bed, and Cynthia was just scrolling through Facebook and saw uh, people in our church community celebrating, and we excited, and then weeping. Some found out news about a family, family member diagnosed with cancer. And thinking in, in one moment, we, we rejoice. And so it's our job, in essence, to, to rejoice with one another in the good times, and then to weep with one another 
in the bad times. I mean, one of the incredible gifts of Christ's church to his people means you never laugh alone and you never cry alone. You think about what a gift that is. And that's what we're, who we're supposed to be together. And then we pray regularly for one another. We walk in unity. We'll see it in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul over and over says you have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. Because you have to be united as one people. Rejecting all opportunities to speak or to hear gossip or slander. One of the things we want to be active in actually rejecting gossip and slander, because nothing can eat the soul out of a community and a church quite like gossip and slander. And we know this because it's one of those things. I don't know if it's just like satanic salt sprinkling on gossip. You know, it's like Lay's potato chips. Do you remember their slogan, no one can eat just one? That's true. That is like Newton's fifth law of physics. No one can eat just one. And the reason why is because they've been scientifically engineered to create cravings. We we, We live in a world where things have been scientifically engineered to create cravings, where as soon as it, like the salt has been so amplified that as soon as it touches your mouth, you just have to have more. And gossip is like that for the soul. It's like Satan sprinkles soul salt on it. So as soon as you do it, you like it. You just need more and more and more. But the problem is just like tater chips, if you just eat more and more and more, what it takes, it makes you unhealthy. It'll destroy you. And so we want to be active in pushing it away. And speaking the truth in love, we pledge to watch over one another in brotherly love, cheerfully giving of our lives and resources joyfully submitting together to the Word of God. And then here's some things that come with what does it mean? Ultimately, we want to be a community that's under the umbrella of the Word. And everything we do is a joyful submission to it. Because knowing that in it, we have life. It's like what Peter said after Jesus gave hard words uh, to the disciples and people started leaving. And he looked at Peter and the other disciples, are you going to go too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. So we joyfully submit to these words knowing that they bring life. And what they do is they admonish us, they correct us, they encourage one another for the building up of the body. Because the ultimate goal is that we all come to a place of spiritual maturity. We're all laboring together to become spiritually mature. Why? For the glory of God and the good of His people. And then lastly, how we're committing to walk together in our culture, in our context, in our world. So originally had in our world, but you know, so you, I mean, if you've been around here long, you know, we have things that have to be in threes and they have to all start the same letter. So we got church, community, and our culture or our context. But what we're talking about there is how we live out in our world. What does it mean to be faithful in our world? So together in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will seek to walk humbly and joyfully in the world living out the gospel in all areas of life. That's the goal, to live out the gospel in all areas of life. We will seek the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, and beyond through the proclamation of the gospel. We will seek to be honest, just, and faithful in our relations, embodying the gospel with loving and holy lives, aiding the poor and needy, praying for the world as we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves, for the glory of God and the good of his people. So here's a commitment to what will our public life be like? What's our public witness? And the two key things there in the first part is that we will seek to walk humbly and joyfully. 
And I think in our just current cultural context, the, the way the gospel shapes and transforms people is two of the, the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the kind of starkest uh, differentiator is it makes people who are both joyful and humble at the same time. They're both humble and bold at the same time. See, it makes us humble because we realize what it says in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and apart from him, there's no hope for us. So we become humble. But then on the flip side, we then become bold and joyful because uh, that it, it cost the Son of God his life to save us, but he willingly gave his life to save us. So it makes us both humble and joyful. It both humbles us and affirms us at the same time. So it makes us a unique kind of people in the world where we're not constantly trying to puff our own back with this fog of self-esteem, trying to delude ourselves to think we're somebody better than we are, but we're, um, we're connected, to, connected to grace, making us humble and joyful. So we live out the gospel, seeking the salvation of our friends, families, neighbor, neighbors, and beyond. And the idea there is that there's people that God has put in our life that are close to us, but they're far from him. And the reason why we've been put there in that uh, small sphere of influence is to help bring the gospel to those people and to those situations. So we will seek to be honest and just and faithful in all of our relations. And the idea there is that uh, Christianity is not a compartmentalized thing. It's not a thing you do Sunday morning from 10 to 11 or 11.15 or 11.30, depending on how long I talk. Encounter. Uh, and one of the remarkable, you realize in there was a, a revival in new revivals are the social consequences that come in their wake. Like, do you realize in there was a, a revival in New York City, started with a businessman's prayer meeting in 1859, and then two years later, they had to lay off a significant section of the police force because crimes had actually gone down to the degree that the police, the, the leveled police force was. Now, they had to add them back eventually, so don't feel sorry for the loss of jobs. But it is interesting to think about who would be out of work if the gospel really took hold of this community. And what it means is there's, there's a uniqueness to how we live together. We're trying to be honest, not duplicitous, but honest, just, and holy in their um, relations, embodying the gospel with loving and holy lives, aiding the poor and needy. And the idea here is that the gospel is both word and deed. So marked by doing uh, word and deed, praying for the world as we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves, for the glory of God and for the good of his people. And all these things... May the love of the dying Savior, the power of the risen Savior, and the hope of the returning Savior be with us now and always. Amen. So this is Church Covenant, and the idea is that when someone wants to come for membership, you'll kind of learn the three different things, how we're structured, what we believe, and then this is how we're committing to walk together. So in a couple months, when we kind of reestablish and kind of assert, uh, in essence, formal membership, this will be the thing we'll ask everyone to read and then say, to come to be a member of this church, you're committing to walk with one another um, this way. And so that's what uh, the church covenant is. And it can be such a healthy, reaffirming thing to just remind you of who you are and to remember what we're called to be. Even this week as we were reading through it and putting it back together and just being convicted and asking ourselves, are we, is this the way we're, we're living and treating one another? And Lord, help me. Help me to be and to do these type things. So for the congregational meeting, 
what I really wanted to do was introduce the concept of the church covenant, wanted to present it to you so you could spend some time really reading through it, thinking about it, and uh, just just see it. And uh, what we're actually going to do in a couple minutes, we're going to... Um, we're going to wrap up and we're going to finish our service. But one of the one of the exciting things about being a church plant is we know you know we're always trying to like compress a lot of things into a short amount of space. So I want to uh, have a congregational meeting. We're just going to update you on kind of the finances, different things like that. So if this is your first time here with us or you're a guest, we'd love to have you stay just so you can kind of hear some of that. It won't really take too long because the big part was walking through the church covenant. But then we'll. Um, I'll dismiss, so if you want to grab your kids, you can grab them, but we'll only take a couple minutes, and then we'll walk uh, through that, but we'll do that uh, after we, we finish our, our service. So right now, let's just take a few minutes, and let's just pray through these different sections and ask the Lord to help us, help make these things a reality in our life. So Lord, we thank you for the grace that we have received in Christ and by the power of his gospel, and we praise you that we have, um, if we've experienced that grace and we are people who've been made new and we've been transformed, and help us to know that. Help us to remember who we are and who we were and help us shape how we think about ourselves and how we think about others and help us to thank you that by your sovereign grace you brought us to a place of repentance and you brought us to a place of believing in your gospel and and we just ask that you make us a thankful people who have a healthy memory of remembering who we are. And Lord, I pray for our church. I thank you so much for this collection of people that you have gathered to come to this elementary school week in and week out to love one another and to sing your praise and to hear your word and to encourage one another in life. And I just just marvel that uh, two years ago, so many of us in this room were strangers, and now so quickly we become family. So I praise you and thank you for the people here. I pray that you would help us. Our goal is to, and desire is to be good and faithful servants, to be good and faithful stewards. We want to live and labor for the advancement of your kingdom and its final triumph. We want to support, you, support the ministries that you give us to do. We want uh, this place to be a place that's holy, that's happy, that's healthy, where people are encouraged and renewed and strengthened. So we lay that desire before you now. And Lord, I pray for our community. I pray that you would um, help us to love one another well, help us to, to turn away from all of the tendencies and the desires to slander or to gossip. Help us to uh, seek to strengthen one another and to walk together and to speak the truth in love and to cheerfully give of ourselves and our lives and our resources and to joyfully come under your word, knowing that your word is life and it is good for us. And even when we experience your discipline and your correction, it's because you love us and you want us to be brought to a place of spiritual maturity. And Lord, finally, I pray for our world, pray for our, the context that you've put us in. You've placed us here in this neighborhood, this community, in this city, in this state. We ask that you would help us 
to be faithful. We ask that you would help us to walk humbly, help us to walk joyfully, help us to have the type of joy like the Apostle Paul and and Titus had, that even when they were falsely accused and unjustly imprisoned and even beaten, they would still sing praises to your holy name because there's no circumstance they can encounter that would drive away their joy. So we pray for that type of just unbreakable joy as a people. So place us in this world, and our desire now is to be faithful. We ask that you help us as a church, as an institution, to know what are the unique areas of brokenness in this community that you want us to try and address with your love and your gospel. So we ask that you would help direct us. And I pray for everyone here in this room, knowing that this the church is a kingdom of priests, and every person has been given a ministry, and, and people that you want us to bring your presence and your light and your word into their life. So we ask uh, that you help us do all of those things, knowing that we do them in the power of your word and the presence of your spirit, for your glory and our good. Amen. Oh,